We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, let me uh, encourage you to grab one in the pew in front of you. As we look at that uh, video and just think about a lot of the things we've uh, sang about this morning, one of the words that comes to my mind is grace. You know, as you think about uh, songs you're familiar with, um, Christian songs, perhaps the most famous one is the song Amazing Grace. And I think it's famous because uh, not only do church people know it, uh, but a lot of people who don't even go to church have heard that song and are familiar with it. And when we think of Amazing Grace, uh, that word grace, many people would describe or uh, define it as unmerited favor given to us by God. Unmerited favor given to us by God, and I heard the uh, old acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, stand for God's riches at Christ's expense, and maybe you've heard about that uh, or heard that before. I remember as a kid learning that, and uh, when you think of the ways that God gives grace to us, if someone asked you this morning, like, tell, tell me some ways that God has been gracious to you. Chances are we would be able to go on and on and on, but a lot of the things we would describe and mention would be things like forgiveness and salvation. We would say things like eternal life. Uh, We would talk about maybe a time of need where we felt like our health wasn't the best and God maybe stepped in and did something miraculous in our life. Or maybe our finances weren't the best and then out of nowhere God provided. Or maybe just a really hard situation or emotional situation that you've walked through and God stepped in the the middle of it and provided grace at the time of need and your uh, emotions were uplifted by maybe a time that you were at church or a time in the Word, time spent in prayer. All of these are acts of grace given to us by God. And we have, again, numerous testimonies even in this room for how God gives us grace. Well, I want to read you a couple of verses this morning of an act of grace that God did that perhaps is very different than an act of grace that you would attribute to God. You know, again, we think of grace as being all these things that we've mentioned. I want to show you a different act of grace that God did, and I want to just look first at the first two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll go down eventually through verse 15, but let's start at the first two verses. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right, so let's step back and think about what was just said. During an extreme time of poverty, a time of hardship, adversity, difficulty, God's grace poured out on them and overflowed in a great amount of generosity on their part. In other words, they were going through a very difficult financial time, and by God's grace, they became extremely generous during that time. Now, whoa, whoa, that kind of goes against some things that we think about God's grace. Like, I read this this week, and I thought, Okay, let me reread it and stop at the point that would typically make sense to us, okay? We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth. Like, 
That's where we would normally stop, right? That's how we think of God's grace. During extreme poverty, extreme time, out of nowhere, God just provides money. Just wealth out of nowhere. And man, what, what grace that would be. But that's not what this, this says. It says, overflowed in a wealth, yes, but not a financial wealth, a wealth of generosity on their part. You see, the grace and wealth that God gave them in the time of hardship and need was them giving generously to others. And that made me think, like, we have to rethink our definition of grace a little bit. Certainly, when you think of grace, grace can and should be described as unmerited favor given to us by God. And certainly, all of those things that I mentioned in the beginning are acts of grace, and we can talk about as being acts of grace in our lives. However, God's grace also shows up in our lives as his power on display in us to live in the way that he's called us to live. When God disciples us and sanctifies us and grows us, it's by his grace that we are walking in that because we could not live that way on our own. So we've got to think about grace in two different ways. Unmerited favor and God's power in us to live as he's called us to live. These are all acts of grace that God bestows on us. And so this morning, as we look to this passage, I want you to think about, did, did you know that one of God's graces that he gives to us is the compassion to give to kingdom-minded work and to those in need? Like, it's weird to think about us giving to others as being a grace of God, but that's exactly what it is. And this morning, I've entitled the message this morning, The Grace of Giving. The grace of giving. Now, why is giving a grace of God? Again, we step back to uh, some of the, the ways that we would use to describe it and think about, you know, when people give generously and give in different ways to the work of God, and you really look at what's going on in their heart, if they're giving in a way that pleases God and that honors God, you have to know that it's only through him that they give in that way. Again, we are wired to be selfish people, like just in our fallen nature. We want everything for ourselves. We want to consume everything. But when people start giving in a way that honor, honors God, man, it's a sign that God is moving in their hearts. And so Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, there was a situation that had happened in the church to which he was using this little story of the churches at Macedonia as, a, as an example. They had begun uh, at the Corinthian church a collection for the church in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul wrote about this collection. You may remember when we went through 1 Corinthians some time ago together. 1 Corinthians 16, the first two verses, he says, Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week... Each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he's prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So he had instructed them, hey, the first day of the week, you guys set something aside and all of this will be collected and then when I come back to you, I'll get the collection and see that it gets to the Jerusalem church. Well, again, we've talked about in 2 Corinthians that part of this letter, the issue was Paul hadn't gone back because of some difficulties in the church and them opposing his ministry, some of them trying to. 
And so he had Titus kind of running back and forth as a messenger. And through Titus and, and some of the ministry he had done at the Corinthian church, he had learned that the Corinthian church had stopped the collection, apparently. You know, they had been working together to collect for the church in Jerusalem. And at some point, they had stopped the collection. Now, why was the collection stopped? Well, it could have been because of maybe their issues with Paul. And they thought, well, you know, we're unsure of his ministry. We're just going to stop and, and, and not give anymore because he told us to. And we're just, you know, we're just going to stop. It could also be, if you study history, you'll find out that in this area, around this time perhaps, that there was a famine in the area. And so they were worried about themselves and so just wanted to make sure they could keep all that money for themselves. For whatever reason, though, the collection had come to a stop. And it made me think of and kind of ask the question, you know, why is it when it comes to doing something for the Lord that if we can generate some kind of excuse to not do it, we will? Like, think about it. Like, it doesn't matter what the excuse is when it comes to serving God, when it comes to maybe giving, when it comes to things even like going to church. Man, if there's a, an excuse we can generate, if there's an excuse we can grab a hold to, to not do it, we tend to, to not do it, right? Or at least we're tempted to. And I think that's very interesting because all of these things that God wants us to do, it's for our benefit and for his glory. Like, it honors God and it's for our spiritual benefit to serve him. It's for our spiritual benefit to come to church, to, to give to all of these different things. Like, it's part of God's plan for us, but yet for some reason we latch on to excuses not to do it. I don't know exactly what their excuse was, what their reason was, but whatever it was, they had stopped collecting and Paul wanted to encourage them to continue in the mission they had because of the kingdom work it was going to do at the church at Jerusalem. And so I want to read verse 1 through 15 now of 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to listen to his words encouraging them to continue on in this collection they started. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task 
so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. It's not that there should be a relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it's written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Let's pray together as we go to God's Word. Father, we know that when it comes to generosity, this is an area that all of us can grow in and need to grow in. Lord, help us today to discern your will for our generosity. We know that every single thing that we have is yours. And so, Lord, as we look to your word today on what to do with it, we pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and open our hearts uh, to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we can see here at the beginning is Paul uses this real-life illustration of these churches in Macedonia that had nothing I think one of the reasons he does this is to eliminate any excuse that the Corinthian church may have had to not collect. You know, he talked about the hardship, the poverty they had gone through, and and he wanted to say, like, listen, God has called you to give. And not only that, he calls it, Paul calls it an act of grace. And so what we see here in this passage as we look at this together is that no matter what you have or don't have, God has called you to be generous. God has called you to give so that you can experience the joy of giving, but also so you can bless others, and we're going to look at those things today. And so when we think about giving as being an act of grace, I want to ask the question this morning, how can we live in a way of grace-filled giving? What are some qualities, what are some characteristic, characteristics of someone who is a grace-filled giver? And I'll just say right off the bat, it's not enough just to give, but how we give matters. Our heart, our intent, all of that matters behind our giving. And so let's look at some of these things together. Again, as we look at verse 1 and 2, we see the situation uh, with the church at Macedonia. But in particular, look at the end of verse 2 and how he describes their giving. They didn't just give, but look at what he says. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. A wealth of generosity. So when you think about giving, I want you to know that we aren't just called to give. Christians are called to give generously. Grace-filled Christians don't just give, but they give generously. And the reason we give generously is it points back to even Jesus' teaching on giving. You may remember in Luke 6, he uses an an illustration much like, you know, you can imagine how this would work. If you go to a a market somewhere and you buy a, a, a basket full or a sack full of groceries, something like that, you imagine them stacking it in but leaving a little bit of room to spare. You know, you, you stack it in a way that, that basically makes it look full, but it's not really full when you could get more in there. Here's what Jesus, he uses an illustration similar to that, and here's what he said in Luke 6:38. Given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, 
will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, like when you think about giving to other people, you should give as much as you can to help other people. That's how I imagine giving generously to, to be. He's like, you know, don't just think about how do we give as little and make it seem like a lot or whatever. He's like, hey, give and it will be given to you. And, and give in a way that's generous, that goes above and beyond what's expected. Now, what I love about Scripture when it talks about giving is it uses times where people uh, sell land, sell all kinds of expensive things to, to bring in and give, and that can honor God. But I also love that Scripture also uses the story of even a lady who just had a couple of little coins to give, like very little to illustrate a heart of giving toward God. Like, there are all different extremes, and here's the, here's the reality and what we see in this passage is, from, especially from these churches in Macedonia, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, you can and you should still give generously. It's just in relation to what you're able to do, right? Giving generously. And so why should we give generously to kingdom work? Well, think about it. If you've ever been given toward, if, if maybe a church or an individual has helped you out in your time of need, you know very well how encouraging that can be, right? So we give generously to others because it will encourage them, it will help take care of them, it will show compassion toward them. We give generously to kingdom-focused work uh, because it helps share the gospel and see that people come to know Christ uh, through the message being spread, but there's another side of giving generously that we also have to acknowledge. As I was doing some research this week, uh, one of the things I was reading on were various articles of why people should give generously. And I found it interesting reading articles from a secular perspective, an unchristian perspective, why people should give generously. And again, this is like counterintuitive uh, sometimes to how we feel about ourselves, like being self-centered and all these kind of things. But listen to what this one article said. This was an article from a website called Psych Alive, which was a uh, psychology website. And they had, were citing some studies about personal benefits when it comes to giving to others. And it, they said that studies show that when you give to others, it reduces your stress supports your physical health, gives you a sense of purpose, helps fight depression, and as a result of these things could potentially even lengthen your lifespan. Now I was reading these things and, you know, I could see even in my own view, like, how that could be very enticing to be like, well, wow, think about all the personal benefits that come to giving. But then there was another side of me that thought, well, that's just selfish, right? If I give and there's like a personal side of it that I think about, then I'm not giving in the right vein either. And so I, I kind of went back and forth with that, but then I came back to Scripture and I realized, like, remember in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, see if you remember when we read this together. It says that God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ 
our comfort overflows. In other words, I think if we apply this here, it's this idea of that God blesses us so we can bless others. And that's part of it, right? As God blesses us financially or material, materialistically, we bless other people because we know all of it's from God anyway. But then you come back even to what Paul writes about here. Look at verse 14 of chapter 8. Look at what he says. I think it's so interesting. He says, At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. In other words, when you have and give to others in need, there's part of it that's going to come back around to you in some way. Now, I don't know exactly how that will be. None of us do. But we know when we look at God's word, part of the plan is that in some way it comes back. Maybe that's emotionally. Maybe that's it's certainly spiritually. But maybe that's also at a time of your physical need. God's going to, to bring someone along to bless you. You just never know how it works. But I know this old saying that we love to say a lot of times, and you've probably heard it, you can't outgive God. You're, you've heard that before? You can't outgive God, and I think that's the reason we say that, is because we know when we give that somehow, some way, God's going to bring it back around. Now, that's not the reason we give, but this is part of it. Christians are called generously, and listen, when we all give generously, what the Bible shows is everybody's going to be taken care of. We're called to give generously to make sure everybody's taken care of. That's just part of the deal, and so we're focused on this because God gave to us in such a way, and we're called to give generously to other, pe other people as well. Grace-filled Christians give generously. But however, they don't just give generously, but there's another way that we are to give when we look at this passage. Grace-filled Christians give eagerly. Grace-filled Christians give eagerly. Look at verse 4 and verse 5 and how he explains this. Look at this. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Now, I want you to imagine this. A church or individual Christians who know there's a need and beg someone to let them give to them. Well, that's unheard of. Like begging somebody, like, please, please, now, you don't understand, we want to give to you so bad. Please let us give to you. Please let us be so generous to you. And not just to the level of their expectation for what they've hoped for, but above and beyond. Man, that's, that's not only generosity, but that's eagerness, right? We see uh, eagerness here. Look at verse 10 and verse 11, how he encourages the Corinthian church to give. Look at what he says. And in this matter... I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. In other words, you started a year ago on this offering. Remember when you started it, you wanted to do it. He goes on to say, verse 11, Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there also may be a completion according to what you have. He, he said, at one time you were eager to do this. You were eager to give, and for whatever reason, in the last year, you're not eager anymore. And maybe as you look at your life, you can remember a time in your life when you were eager to give in the work, toward the work of the Lord, but at some point along the way, for whatever reason, you're not eager anymore. 
Maybe you realize, hey, I can spend my money on certain things that I want or certain things my kids or my grandkids want or, or, you know, maybe I feel like I don't have as much as I used to so I shouldn't really give now. Maybe for whatever reason, you were eager once, but you're not eager anymore. Listen, we're called to give, but we're also called to give eagerly. And when you think about it, which kind of gift? If somebody were, were going to give you a gift, and they wanted to give, give something to you, but how they gave it was like, well, I know I have to give this, so I'm just going to give it to you because I know I have to, versus, oh, I really want to give this to you. Like, I've thought about you, and I really want you to have this. Like, if it were the same gift on the same level, which one would you be most pleased with? Certainly the one that's coming from somebody who's eagerly giving, Right? Giving out of obligation, I mean, who, who likes that? Certainly it's nice to receive a gift, but it's the heart behind it that matters, right? Listen, we're called to give generously, but we're called to give eagerly. And so as you examine your heart this morning, maybe you give and maybe you've made that a practice your whole life, but you've always done it just because you've had to and not because you've wanted to. Maybe you've got to come to the Lord this morning and say, God, help me to not just give my check or money toward things because of obligation. Help me not to dread to do it. Help me be eager. And not only eager to give, but eager to go above and beyond, to be generous when I give. That's the type of giving that honors the Lord. And here's what's so cool. When you give to the work of the Lord, when you give to kingdom-minded things, there's nothing else in this world that can match it. How many things can you give toward that they can say this will have an eternal impact? There's nothing in this life. Everything's going to run out. Uh, You know, the value of the dollar keeps going down and down and down. Like, everything's uncertain in this life. But when you give to kingdom work, man, that stuff lasts forever. You're planting seeds that could potentially grow not only for generations to come, but also Again, that will impact eternity, that people can come to know Jesus and have eternal life and be with the Lord forever one day. That's what we're giving toward, and that's why I I love giving to the local church, because not only do we help meet needs, but we help do kingdom-minded work. And so for all of us, as we think about giving, let's give eagerly and generously to the Lord's work. But there's one more area of giving that I think we have to consider. Generous? Certainly. Eager? Certainly. But grace-filled Christians are to give lovingly. Lovingly. Look at verse 8. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. You know, again, if you have to do something, you know, what kind of love is there in, in that? What kind of eagerness? You know, he's, not, he's like, I'm not saying this as something you have to do. Rather, By means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Do you want to do it bad enough that you would do it on your own when you're not made to do it? That's how you know if you love others. That's how you know if you love the Lord, if you're not being made to do it, if nobody has any clue about it. Look at verse 13. He says, it's not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. Listen, he, he said, we, if we love people, we should want to make sure that other people are taken care of. If we love people, 
in their time of need, we should want to help them. And man, there are people all over Scottsville, all over this area, who certainly uh, have need. And let me just say also, I think we have to be discerning in how we give and what we give toward. But certainly, we should give to help other people. And we should give to kingdom-focused work. And Paul was worried here about the other churches and other ministries being taken care of. And I think if we aren't worried about those kind of things, then we're missing a huge part of what it means to follow Christ. We have to be concerned and have a love for people that calls us to to give in a way that is completely grace-filled. And so if we love people, we're going to help take care of them physically, emotionally, spiritually, and all of these ways through grace-filled giving. So we're called to do all of this. And Paul had used the churches at Macedonia as an example. But I think the greatest example that he used as an illustration of what it means to give as a believer comes in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, If someone were to pull that verse out of context, they could say, well, look, God wants you to be rich. It's not what this is talking about. This is talking about what Jesus did for you in coming to earth to die on the cross for your sins. He he had it all in heaven, glory, honor, everything, and he humbled himself by becoming a man, fully God, fully man humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross that was for your sins and my sins, not his. He had it all, but he became poor for us. Why? Well, what does it say here? So we can have it all. For your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see, that's the story of the gospel. And if you've never heard that story before, that's what Jesus did for you. That's why we give to kingdom-minded work. That's why we worship every single week. That's why we live our lives in a way to honor God because of what he did for us. And listen, he did the same thing for you. The Bible says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and what we've earned because of that sin is death. But the good news of Jesus is that he took our death for us in dying on the cross. And on the third day, he came back to life. And the Bible says when we turn from our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior and follow him with our lives, the Bible says that we can become rich in God, having eternal life, being co-heirs with Christ. Everything that is his now also becomes ours, not because we deserve it, but because he did all of that for us. You can become rich in the Lord today in those ways when you repent and turn to him in faith. And so if you've never done that, in just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of commitment. I'll be standing down front. I'd love for you to come down and tell me, hey, I would like to make that decision or maybe meet me after church. I would love to talk to you more about that. I don't want anyone to go away from here without knowing Jesus. But I know that every single week as we gather, primarily many of us are believers, That's what a church is. We're a gathering of believers. And so as you think about your life, Christian, if you had to list the areas of your life where you'd strive to do well in following the Lord, you're like, hey, this is my short list or long list of things that I really 
try hard to do to honor God? What things would you put on that list? Chances are you would put things like Bible reading. I really want to make sure I read my Bible every day. Maybe prayer you'd put on that list. Maybe things like going to church. I mean, you're here this morning. Many of you come every single week, and you, you say, I want to put that on my list, or gathering with other believers, those kind of things. Maybe sharing your faith. You put that on your list. There are many Christian attributes that we strive to excel in, that we strive to do well in. And Paul knew that the Corinthian church, like, they weren't, you know, it's not like they weren't trying to honor God. There were a lot of areas that they were trying to honor the Lord in. But yet he took this occasion to write because he knew this was a grace of God, an area that God wanted them to follow that they weren't doing so well in. And so this morning, as you think about your life, again, there may be many areas that you're doing well in following the Lord. But when it comes to giving, is that something that you strive to excel in? Is giving something, uh, giving generously and, and eagerly and lovingly, is that, are those things that, those ways that you give, are those ways that you're trying to honor the Lord? And if not, this morning, maybe your decision needs to be, I need to go to God and, and pray about beginning to give to kingdom work. You know, one of the reasons I love the idea of the, the tithe is because uh, giving 10% is no matter how much or little you have at any points in your life, like that's something that you can, can strive to do, right? And so pray about maybe giving to kingdom work. Maybe for you, it's more about trusting the Lord and his word. Being like those churches at Macedonia and saying, you know, I don't have a lot. But I'm going to trust God that, you know, his word says that somehow it's going to come back around and I'm going to give generously and faithfully trusting God. Maybe for you it's that you need to grow in your love for others and showing your love in this way. Again, let me repeat, there are many areas I know every single one of us strive to do well in and following the Lord. And I want to uh, kind of wrap up with verse 7. Look at what it says here. Paul knew that they too wanted to do well in a lot of things, and here's what he said. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love for us, and we could include things that we would say, and as Scottsville Baptist Church, as you excel in everything, Bible reading, prayer, gathering together, you know, all of these things mentioned here as well, faith, speech, knowledge, all of these things. Look at what he says here. Excel also in this act of grace. Excel also in this act of grace, which is giving toward others in these ways. Church, let us corporately and individually not just be known for our faith, our speech, our knowledge, our diligence, our love, but let us also be known for this act of grace. Generous, eager, and loving giving toward others. Father, we thank you so much that you not only allow us the privilege and opportunity to give, that you not only give us the resources to be able to give, but Lord, we thank you that above all, that you were the one who gave first to us in the greatest way that could ever be given by giving of your son to die on the cross and come back to life for us.
Father, as we each think about our own lives, we know that anything good that we have is an act of grace from you, is a blessing from you. And so as we strive to live our lives to honor you, help us to remember that you've called us to give to others, to give to your work, to give to needs that are around us, and to see your kingdom continue to grow through your church. And so, Lord, I pray for every single one of us that we would develop not just a heart to give and see a need to give, but we would do so in a way that's eager and loving and generous and that goes above and beyond just as you did. Lord, again, we thank you that you not only lead us to do things in your word, but you give us the ability to do them through your spirit. And so today, as your spirit moves among us, I I pray that maybe if there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus, that your spirit would move them to come to salvation today. Lord, I pray for that person who maybe hasn't given anything ever in their life to anyone, that you would move them to see the importance of generosity. Or maybe for that person, Lord, who has been generous, but not in a way that would honor you. I pray that, Lord, all of us would align our hearts with your will and your word. Again, thank you for all the ways that you bless us, and thank you for moving in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.